Hello and welcome to the Rock Show. We are here at International. Today is um, June 30th. The show could have been live in the DMZ zone, but we didn't want to get shot, so we came to the International to do the show. Um, and today we got a special guest, um, Jerry, and like always, our host, Rock and Mike, and um, what are we talking about today? Hey, good morning, everybody. We're going to be talking about the great MC5, the Motor City 5. Uh, me, and, me and Jerry were just chatting, and uh, we just, you know, we're agreeing that if it wasn't for this band, so many other bands wouldn't have existed or have been totally different afterwards. Everything from the early punks to hardcore later on would have been totally either different or non-existent without the MC5, right? Oh, yeah, that's very true, man. We were, I, I love when we were in the, in the back, we were talking about it. If it yeah. wasn't MC5, we all know that CBGB's, you know, New York City, right. punk rock, and, and uh, you know, as far as, like, the Stooges, Moe, yeah. all those guys, they wouldn't be up there, you know? Now, they were true, they were, they, were, they were punks before there was a word for it. Um, right, exactly. Basically, yeah, that was the original. Well, we had yeah, proto punks, you know. Definitely, definitely. Thank you, Robert. You're right. The uh, the history of the MC5 starts in Lincoln Park, Michigan. All right, in 1964. Okay, just say one more. Yeah. And this is episode 18 of yes. the Rock Show. Yes, it is. It is. 18 episodes already. Yeah. So Lincoln Park, Michigan, 1964. That was the roots of the MC5. You had Wayne Kramer on guitar, Fred Sonic Smith on guitar, and they were close friends since they were kids uh they they shared a love of music uh they loved r&b chuck berry dick dale uh stones beatles all that stuff um they had separate bands at one point uh fred smith had a band called the vibratones and kramer had a band called the bounty hunters and yeah and it was like rotating lineups they they traded off personnel and played you know the same bands and stuff like that um Basically, um, Fred and, and, and Wayne were, were playing together, and they said, you know, we want to play every day. We want to give up our jobs. Okay, they were like, you know, late, they were late teens, almost out of school. They, they didn't want to have like nine to five jobs, like their parents working in the, the, you know, the car factories, which everybody did those days in Detroit. Um, at the time, they said that in order to make it, you know, Wayne's idea was we need to get a manager. So they came across a guy named Rob Dermida, who was uh, Rob, right? And eventually he would, be, he would change his name to Rob Tyner. Uh, but at that point he was Rob Dermida, and he was a few years older than those guys. Um, he wanted, he was going to manage it, believe it or not. No, actually, he was going to be, he auditioned to be a bass musician. At, at one point he did early on to be the bass player, but then they, you know Wayne was going to use him as a manager, but then when they heard him sing. And they said, you got a great voice. You could, you could take over lead vocals when we put this band together. Right. So um, when you got Rob at, the, in, at that time in his life, he was very much into uh, left-wing politics in Detroit uh, going oh, on. Yeah, man. Uh, he considered true. himself a, a, a Marxist. He was into a lot of radical groups that were in uh, Detroit at the time. Um, and, and in the early years of the MC5, the politics would be a big part of what they were about. Um, in my opinion, and, you know, that might have hampered them, but we can get into that later on. Yeah, they were ahead of their time, you know. Definitely, I hate to definitely. Tell you that. I, yeah. I, I, I had, right, Robin, you know, they were ahead of their time. Oh, they were very good. They didn't even know what to I call mean, them when they first started, you know, but these guys had a lot of influence, you know? Yeah. Exactly. 
Um, when Rob uh, changed his name to Rob Tyner, he got it, he got the name from uh, John Coltrane's piano player named McCoy Tyner. Yeah, he was very into jazz. Yes, yeah, and, and jazz would be a you know free jazz, free jazz. Right, Kramer, Kramer and, and and Smith were into it too, and that would be a big you know part of their sound. People kind of forget that you know they they could kick out the jams and all that, but really they had songs that were like long jazz influenced kind of jams and uh by uh after a couple of years their lineup would be stabilized by 1969 or so it, it was it was going to be rob tyner singing wade and fred sonic smith trading off guitar riffs you had michael davis on bass and dennis thompson on drums exactly right so that was the that was the that was the real lineup that would yeah. become famous um, right, right. You know, um, again with the jazz influences, they looked up to people like Albert Heiler, John Coltrane, and Sun Ra. Okay, and Kramer would often use like heavy vibrato tones in his guitar sounds, and it would you know create almost like they, they would try to create almost like a saxophone kind of sound or something. It was psychedelic, but there was jazz in there. You could hear it, you know. Right. Um, that combination of, of uh, Kramer doing those vibrato, you know, kind of sounds, almost jazz sounding, with Fred Sonic Smith's chord progressions, loud, that was the MC5. It was like a train, you know. Now, I was watching last night the, uh, the documentary, The MC5, A True Testimonial, that came out, I think, in 2002, 2003. And um, Kramer brings up a good point that it, I was always wondering how they got the name, the MC5, you know. And uh, he he explains that um, it sounded to them like a like a part, like a serial number on a part, you know. Like he the way he describes it is like you know give me uh, you know a, a couple of shocks, a couple of springs, and 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 give me five MC5s. <laughs> you know, and then they started to realize, well, yeah, MC Five that could mean Motor City Five. Motor City Five. Okay. I thought that's what right. Reggie well, meant. Well, but they meant MC it, like it, it was like a coincidence almost. Master yeah. Ceremony. Oh, yeah, yeah it, Master it, Ceremony. Remember, the poli- is a very politics. It has a lot of politics behind it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, definitely. Um, right away, the band took off basically they were playing every night in Detroit uh, different clubs they were starting to pack them out everybody was like check out this band they're amazing uh, they released a couple of singles by 1968 they did a cover of Them's I Can Only Give You Everything and then uh, a second single came out with a song called Borderline and Looking At You which would be worked over to different versions kind of by their first two albums um, Question. What yeah. About, what about, I got, Speak I got, up, Jim. I got, I got a kick off or something like that. Which one? 19, 1969, like kick out uh, about, uh, oh well, yeah, Rambling Rose, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah, we got to talk about uh, how they got signed. Now, I mentioned a little bit, a little bit of this two weeks ago in the Stooges episode. Uh, Danny Fields was sent over by Electra Records to check out what was going on in Detroit. And really, they were there to check out the MC5. But at the same time, they happened to come across the Stooges. So in the summer of 68, uh, the, the MC5 had come off a tour. 
of the of the East Coast, and they opened for uh, Janis Joplin. They opened for Cream, and you know some people were saying that they were blowing these others off the stage. Yeah, because of the right music. You know, they're very good. You know, right. So when uh, when Danny Fields went to check him out, he was blown away. Okay, so he had told Electra, "Listen, you got to sign the MC5." And we want you to sign the Stooges at the same time. And the MC5 got a $20,000 signing bonus, and the Stooges got a $5,000 signing bonus. That's the deal. You know what? Cause the, the freaking um, MC5 was very successful right off the back. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, they, yeah. Were packing, they were packing out the clubs, and, you know. They even they were so successful that in 1969 they got the cover to Rolling Stone and Rolling yep. Stone magazine was yep. like motherfucker that's yep. like you made it big that's MC5 yeah back then yep. yeah that was like I mean that was huge like what else did we have to know anything there weren't that many Rolling Stone in those days were were very underground you know they were cutting edge uh, not so much like. Uh, they were legit. Like they were legit. Legit. They right. had guys that really were passionate to the writing, to the music. Now it's just like bubblegum fucking crap. Yeah, it's crap. I don't even want to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's at that point that they connected with uh, John Sinclair. Uh, he was a radical leftist Marxist uh, person in the Detroit area. Uh, Rob Tyner was very interested in left wing politics as well. And the band really became extremely political motivated and they decided that that was going to be part of the music it was going to be revolutionary music right because they were against the war in vietnam uh and other things and uh, you know it was it was uh they were interested in the black panthers and what they were doing and they decided to start the white panthers john sinclair started that yeah, the white panthers and basically they were a militant leftist group of white kids who would uh you know support what the black panthers were doing which was marxism basically um, yeah, Vietnam time, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, <clears throat> 68, 69 was crazy times in this country. Oh, yeah, bro. He, he also wanted to, that guy he supported also the, when the Black Panther had that riot in Detroit in nineteen sixty seven. Yeah, Sinclair, Sinclair like, supported right, it. They were like, yeah, fuck that. <laughs> the praise the, the killers and well, shit. Well, the authorities started to you know perk up their ears with the MC five with all that. They started to be worried like this is not just a band. This is a movement. This is like a movement, a movement and it's, yeah. it's a danger to them. You know, that's how they looked at it. Um, it was not too long after that that uh, Sinclair would get busted for two joints. Yeah. And have to go to jail, <laughs> right? I mean, that was, a, that was crazy. That was just a, like, fuck you. That's yep. what it was. That was like, fuck you. And their shows started getting uh, slightly theatrical, more militant. They would come out on stage with rifles. On stage, and they would simulate uh, at one point during a show, like if it was a climactic moment, whatever. Uh, Tyner would pretend to be shot by a sniper. Yeah, <laughs> an, un, an unseen sniper. An unseen sniper. Right, you didn't see who he was. Yeah, just that was almost one. like a little throwback to um, Kennedy. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, fifty years down the line, it sounds kind of tame, but that was only four years after a president was shot. Yeah. Dead on live on television. Yeah. So it was fresh in people's minds what they were doing. And some people did not like that, you know, basically. Um, the band at that time was experimenting with LSD. 
Uh, they were smoking weed 24-7, but they were, they were also dropping acid on stage and whatnot. They were tripping out of yep. LSD. Yep, yep. So, um, <laughs> by the time the, uh, the, the election time of 68 was coming, uh, the Democratic Party was having their convention in, the, uh, in Chicago, and the MC5 played that convention. And other bands were supposed to show up, but there was talk of violence and riots. And the only band that showed up was the MC5. Wow. <laughs> they didn't care. So they, yeah, they didn't give two shits. They, yeah, they drove they had... from Detroit to Chicago That's cool. and just to do this gig. And um, they played for eight hours straight. And it was right when they left the stage that the real riots started. That's right. After they, that they, started, yeah, yeah. yeah the police were, police were clubbing people and everything. This guy Sinclair was also part of the White Panther Party, right? right. He started yeah, the White he Panther. Started Party. The and the White Fifth Panther. Estate. What the hell was the Fifth Estate? The Fifth Estate was a magazine. Yeah. It was an underground magazine that was put out in Detroit um, that rallied up all these radical groups. And they had their own form, form they, they, they their own, their own magazine that would promote the MC5, but also talk about radical movements going on, you know. You gotta remember, this was like 68, people walking around with the little Chairman Mao book. Yeah, okay, yeah, a little yeah, red yeah, book, yeah, and red you know, book. yeah, man. Oh, yeah, the fucking like, little, the Chinese, uh, what was the fucking, now, yeah, 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 the book of the eye, you know. Because Sinclair was into he didn't want to be core manager, so he started the Trans Love Energies. The Trans Love Energies was like this. He was out of his mind. That's yeah. what I'm fucking saying. <laughs> yeah, That's what shit I am. He was out of his mind. Yeah. Yeah. What it comes down to is all about fucking. Yeah. Okay, that's what all that stuff comes down to. Trans love energy. You're just trying to get chicks to fall for your bullshit. And, you know, everybody lived together communally in a house. So, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, everybody, yeah. A little Jim Jones, huh? Yeah. It was a bit of a cult. It was yeah. a bit of a cult. Yep. Yeah. Talked about oh, Jim Jones the other God. day, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, um... So the riots, the riots in, uh, in in Chicago at the DNC is you know legendary part of history right now. But the MC5 was smack in the middle of that, mm-hmm. and um, by October of that year, '68, it was decided that uh, Electra Records was going to put out a live album for them. They were going to make a live album, which would be their debut album. Oh my god! Not too many bands have done yeah, this. No, this is no. like a very unique kind of thing where you you know your first album is a live album. But you know yeah, who? You know, you know who also came to the rally that you forgot to mention? Neil Neil Young. Neil Young came. <laughs> he, he made it, but he didn't he play. Made, he didn't play. Yeah, he, didn't he made play. it. How yeah. funny is that? Yeah, yeah. he's Neil another Young. asshole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too much rocking in the free world. Right? <laughs> rocking in the free world with a cocaine up his nose. Exactly. Anyway, so they um, scheduled two gigs at the Grand Day Ballroom in Detroit on October 30th and 31st, and they were free shows, and it was going to be recorded for the live album. Mm. Electra um, and uh, their producer at the time said that uh, his name was Bruce Botnick. Yeah, um, they, uh, the only way to record them, they felt, to get it right was to have them live in front of their fans, because that's when they played the heaviest and the loudest and the best mm. so that's what they did and uh, like I said it was very unique yeah, to do uh, that but you listen to that album I mean kick out the jams obviously okay rocket reducer number 62 Motor, Motor City Burning which was a John Lee Hooker song that they covered and that was very you know symbolic of the times because only a year a year earlier 
Yeah, Detroit did burn. They had riots in Detroit. Yeah, okay. it's so weird, right? But you said that. I don't want to this change the conversation or change the, the scene. But yeah. it, it's like Neil Young saying, rocking in the free world, something like that. Yeah, that I yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, this is so weird that Neil Young was there, actually. You know, People love that song. I never was really into it that much. I was just throwing in there, yeah, you know, yeah. the MC5, you know. So um, they, they uh, recorded this at the Grande Ballroom. And uh, they did those songs, like I said, and it just was an amazing show. Two shows, actually, Two shows. that they put together. Um, when you listen to Starship, you can hear the Sun Ra influences on it. Uh, for all you people not familiar, you familiar with Sun Ra? Because he's really out there. Well, you know, I... I kind of heard kind of differently though. I, it, isn't Jeff an air, airplane? No, 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 no. That's yeah. something totally different. No, yeah. so it's a, no Starship. Star- Starship was the name of a song. Oh, yeah. the Starship. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And it was all about, you know, Starship, take me away. Oh, and, and, and a lot of that, that, that kind of theme was, was what Sun Ra recorded about. Like, oh, that's space right. is the place space and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You I know? remember now. Yeah. So you could hear some of the influences there. But wow. the, the, the big thing about. That album is uh, the liner notes were controversial, and of course the intro to "Kick Out the Jams" Kick when he says jams. when he says "Kick Out the Jams, motherfuckers." Okay, now oh, yeah, he's <clears throat> on the liner notes of the album on the back sleeve, uh, John Sinclair wrote this long kind of manifesto, and he basically at one one line he says "Kick Out the Jams, motherfucker," he and then word, yeah, and it was on the back of the album that you could see it. And then, of course, the, the intro to Kick Out the Jams, where they say motherfucker, there, there was a department store in Detroit called Hudson's, which was a huge department store. And uh, they refused to carry the album. So Wayne Kramer and the rest of the guys were pissed about that. And they took a full-page ad out in that magazine, The Fifth Estate. And they said, you know, stay alive with the MC5 and fuck Hudson's. Okay? <laughs> but... It wasn't just doing that. They put the Electra label right under the comment. So, can't do that. Okay, because that's like saying Electra condones what you just said. Yeah, All right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Hudson's was like, oh yeah, fuck you. And they pulled every Electra label artist out of the store. Oh, my. Okay, so they weren't selling anything by Electra. Electra's uh, CEO, Jack Holzman, was backed in a corner. And uh, he basically cut the band Right after that, cut the blues. Right after that, dropped them. So, you know. But, but it's funny that album was on the um, Billboard. Mm-hmm. It made nineteen sixty nine. It was yeah, number yeah. thirty. Yeah. Number thirty. Uh, I think thirty or thirty. Yeah, and number was, thirty. And it lasted twenty three weeks. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and but, you know what? It, it wasn't. It, it it wasn't critically received well. Yeah. Um, I don't know why. I think a lot of people. I know Lester Bangs, for instance, kind of panned them at first. But then changed his mind because he'd yeah. become a big MC5 fan later on. So. Um, it, uh, it, it, you know, it, it didn't get critically received, but it sold well. Oh, yeah? Which was, you know, what they were looking at, Electric. Electric was looking to get into the rock music for the last couple of years. They were doing well with the Doors and stuff like oh, that. yeah. You know? And then, I guess after Electra, they were signed by Atlanta. What, Atlanta, what happened with Atlanta, the Atlanta, Atlantic, Atlantic, Atlantic picked them right up. Yeah, Atlantic labels. Um, Atlantic Records picked them right up. And the first that was in uh, late 69. 
And they released their second album, right? Yeah, January yeah. of 70, they would release back in the USA. Now, this was produced by John Landau, who would later be involved with Springsteen. Yeah, that's yeah. Slapdick. That's Slapdick, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Springsteen, okay. <laughs> and uh, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great album. I think it's, you know, a lot of people thought the sound changed, and it did. Um, they they got like a little more second, straight ahead. I think the second album was way better than the first album. The first album was edgy and live, but I thought the second once they put that production and stuff, it sounded yeah. so much better. Well, some people complain that the sound is too compressed, and I, I never I never really bought into that too much. No. It's a little it's a little titty sounding, it's a little but that's different because that's just how it was at the time. Yeah. You know, it's it's a great album. I mean, they do a cover of Chuck Berry's "Back in the USA." <laughs> uh, they do uh, "Looking Looking at You" was reworked. Now, "Look Looking at You" would be covered by the Damned only exactly, a few years yeah, later. So you have that influence on punk bands already starting. Okay, that really that became that's how they became popular. Yeah, in that song. exactly. You, you know, uh, you know what's a great song on that album? You ever hear "Human Being Lawnmower"? No, I never. Did. Great title. That's a good song. You got too. me there. Both of them, uh, Sonic and Wayne, and, and actually, I should say all of them, really, uh, were starting to get heavy into drugs right now. Uh, the drugs were changing. They weren't just doing acid. They were starting to do heroin and other shit. Yeah, okay. they were already, they were already. Yeah. The only guy that in the band that, that really didn't get into drugs was Tyner too much. Right. You know, and it was because he was a little bit older and he had a family and everything. No, he that, was a more family orientated. He, yeah, he had a couple of kids, I think, yeah, by he, that point. He was more like, you know, more the oldest guy. He was yeah, he was older guy. than them to start anyway. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but uh, that album wouldn't sell too good. It would only get to number 137 yeah. by March of 70, and it kind of dropped out of sight. Um, but it was more because of the negative. People didn't think it was as good as the first album. Yeah, I mean, and, and I just want to get to one point. I don't know if you agree with me, but do you? I feel that had they not been so political, oh, they would have been. They would have been farther. They yeah. would have gone farther. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I got a feeling from things I've read and stuff that the whole band wasn't really, you know, in lockstep when it came to the politics. Okay, for instance, the rhythm section of. Uh, of uh, Thompson and uh, Davis, they they didn't really get into the politics that much. They just wanted to get high and get laid and whatever, and they just went along with it. It was really more Kramer and Smith and and Tyner that were really down with politics. I think they would have gone far. You agree, Rob? They would definitely go far. I think the, I think the thing that held them back, and I hate to say that, I think it was. Uh, John Sinclair. Yeah. Well, it was around this time they would start to, to, to pull away from him. Yeah, I'll take another one, sure. Vodka soda? Vodka soda. Oh, yeah, we are drinking. Yeah, yeah, that's what we do. That's what we do. Trying to drink this cold away that I have. It sucks. You sound better now. Yeah, a little bit. Thanks. Thanks. Um, like I said, he was starting to have a falling out with John Sinclair. Um, yeah, what, the, 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 the band, the, the band was was going in a different direction. Basically, I think they they were making a conscious effort to be less political. I mean, th that album um, back in the USA, they're all great, just good rock and roll songs. They're not political. 
They're not, uh, you know, calling for revolution. It's just old-fashioned rock and roll. Old-fashioned rock and roll. You know, I mean, they're covering Chuck Berry, so, yeah. Yeah, and Chuck man. Berry's not political. Yeah, well, you know who's very political? Like, Rage Against the Machine was very political. How yeah. long How long well, was that last? And, 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 and I know you, I know Rage Against the Machine wouldn't have been able to be that political MC, if it wasn't yeah. for the MC5. For the MC5. Yeah. I think they took, I really think those guys took, like, a page off the MC5, and they were, like... Yeah. If no, they were no. around that, John Sinclair would have totally hey, managed to fucking rage right. against the machine. Oh, yeah, if it was now, yeah. Not to change the conversation, but you remember the drummer for Amsterdam from Rains Against Machine? They're so political, that band. They like remind me of MC5 almost. Like, you notice, like, the drummer, when he's facing, like, and not at the audience, he's, he's on his he got his old drum set backwards. <laughs> oh, he doesn't face the audience? He doesn't face the audience at all. I watched him on TV. No, they faced the audio, but I think when they first started, that was yeah, like that's his gimmick. That's, that's what he did. He would have his back, but later on, that. he would. Yeah, they changed that yeah. about later on when they got a little bit more politics. famous. And it's all politics. You know? Yeah, they were, they were making a point. They were making a point. Anyway. So, July of 71, they were going to release their third album. It'd be the second album on Atlantic. Exactly. And um, this is my favorite album from them. High time. time. High time. Okay. Is that what they named yeah. the High Time Magazine? I after wait you say that, Mike. I I, maybe. I don't know. I never heard that. Remember, yeah, it's yeah. a High Time Magazine. Did, did yeah. they name it after this album? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Or maybe they, named it, maybe they named it after the magazine, because High oh. Time's been around for a long time. No, High yeah, Time's been around a long what's time. What's High Time before that album? Yeah. Yeah. Might have been. Yeah. Possibly. Possibility. Yeah. I got to look that up now. Mm. We got to we gotta look it up, right? Because High Time's been around for a long time. But let me tell you, too, the time is one of the best I mean, I, there were really, really politics there. You were talking about politics. You know, yeah, but they were more undercover yeah, with the politics on, the on that. Really? Um, yeah, that's not as political as Kick Out the Jam. I thought they were singing that song. Time! <laughs> <laughs> you slapdick motherfucker. That's not, that's not even the MC5, Jerry. That's nah, the fucking. <laughs> Uh, you need to stop smoking that shit. Damn, uh, <laughs> that's, that's the okay. Chambers brothers, you I fucking Oh, my God. I think my, I think my girl's coming to get me. That might oh, be worth the Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah, that is. That is. That is. All right, let's keep going. The High Times oh, yeah, came so out. High Times would be produced by Jeffrey Haslam, and it was definitely their, their, their best received <coughs> and reviewed album up to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, was a, Archie Fields also worked on that album. I, I think he was like a recording engineer or something like that. He didn't produce it. Yeah, he recorded. Yes, yeah, he recorded. That's recorded by Archie. Yeah, that's one what I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Archie, yeah, he was like one of the. And then Mike, what happened to this album? Bombed. Save a story. Bombed. Uh, it wasn't even promoted well, but it was reviewed often, and people were saying it's a good album, but you just couldn't, you know, get enough information about it. people who weren't hearing about it. Um, it was the album that they had the most creative control yeah. album on, I should say. And, um, I, you know, it, it's funny because the second album used to be my favorite album for a long time from them. And over the last maybe 10 years or so, I think it's this one. Because I think it's really them um, at their best, r- recording the way they wanted to, right. with a producer that could work with them. They had problems with, with Landau on the second album. Um, I just think it's you know Sister Anne, that song Sister Anne, okay, Miss X, um, uh, it would be like uh, that song Future Now, uh, Skunk, which was like a jazz influence thing called Skunk Sonically Speaking, um, great shit, great shit. I mean, I think it's a fantastic album. Unfortunately, it would be their last. 
Um, because the album bombed so badly, Atlantic dropped them right yeah, after that in '72. I can't believe that the band that everybody talks about now had such a had such a great beginning and then had such a fucking downfall to the point that they were like. There was a lot of drugs here too, man. You know, it was like the the, gig, the, gig, the gigs were getting sloppy. From from what I've heard, the gigs were getting sloppy. Um, Davis, the bass player, he had a very oh, bad heroin. heroin yeah. yeah, he was he was out of it. They um they did a European tour not too long after Atlantic dropped them because um, they got a, a bunch of offers to play in Europe. Yeah. They opened up for Pink Floyd when Pink Floyd had Sid Barrett. They had Sid Barrett yeah. in there. Yeah. Right, wow. right. So that was like the original Floyd. But in February of '72, um, in Europe, they fire Michael Davis. They said they had enough. Oh, because he was used to hell when like a motherfucker. He couldn't, he couldn't handle it. They fired him, left, stranded him in fucking England or something like Just that. Just like fucking yeah, this man. guy, yeah. like, like Motorhead, like Lemmy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Speak, speak, speaking of Lemmy, uh, Lemmy's on record saying the MC5 were his favorite band. Oh, yeah? Yeah, definitely. Um, I remember, the, you could see it on YouTube. There was a, a gig that Lemmy did. I forget who it was with. I think it was with Kramer. And some other guys uh, jamming, and they they do a, a cover of Sister Anne with Let Me Sing. It's fucking great. Yeah. So now the group is in. Give it Europe. And they replace it. They replace Michael Davis with a, with a series of guys. A guy named Steve Derrick, and then there was yeah. Ray Craig. Right. They would they would ask Steve Derrick to join the band officially when they got back to the states. Um, he did. Uh, he was a Brit, and he had answered an ad to get into the band when they when they fired Davis over there. He needed somebody, so they answered the ad. He answered the ad, and uh, eventually would be doing the tour with them. And then when they went back to the states, he was called back to the states with them because they wanted him to join the band. He agreed. Um, the band would just kind of limp on for the rest of the year. They did some shows in the States. Um, I think they went back to Europe one more time. And by December of 72, on uh, New Year's Eve time, December 31st, the original lineup was going to get back together for one farewell show. And it was going to be at the Grande Ballroom, um, where they recorded Kick Out the Jams only a few years earlier. Now, it was hyped up in the papers in Detroit. Um, you know, they're saying it was a farewell show for the band. They were going to be hanging it up. And in the same place that they drew thousands of people to kick out the jams and other times they played there, they only drew about 250 people showed up for the farewell show. 250 people, that's it. And, yeah, Kramer is, is on record saying that, you know, when he got out there, he saw that it was only 250 people. He was just, you know, his heart just dropped. You know, he's like, no one even cares anymore about us. And it's, it's kind of sad. Uh, they did the gig, and a few songs in, Kramer walks off the stage, leaves the show. And, um, you know, it was a sad end. Yeah, very to, sad. To, to yeah. a great band. I mean, to, to walk off the stage like that, no, nobody really would do that, but he did, you know? And um, yeah, what'd you think of that, Rob, right? Did you, that Rob, part of it? you know that? You Which know one? That the, last, the last gig that they did, um, 
Was that December yeah. 31st? Yeah, New Year's Eve, They only yeah. sold like about 250 tickets. And Kramer did a couple of songs and just walked off the stage. Yeah. That was the end of it. And now they broke up. Yeah. And um, that was the uh, beginning of 73 now, basically. That was the end yeah. of the band. Yeah, because uh, that guy Fred uh, um, Sonic Smith formed a group called The Ascension. Yeah, briefly it was called The Ascension. That didn't last. And then he started Sonic's Rendezvous Band. Which, uh, I'll talk about this for a second. And that slapdick motherfucker, Mary Patty Smith. Yes, he did. Yeah. He did. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to he throw did. that in. Yes. Oh, yes. Like We're doing the Patty how many, Smith how many, show on Wednesday. How many chicks marry a dude with the same last name as him? It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, how does that happen? But, uh, Sonic Rendezvous Band People. Now, this is one of the most seminal, uh, oh, bands of the 70s that, that, it's almost like a band that nobody's heard of, but everybody should have. Okay, they um, he put this band together, and uh, they recorded a song called "City Slang." You know this song, "City Slang." City Slang. Slang. Look it up. Look it up on YouTube, man. It's a good tune. Um, they would play CBGBs. They toured the country a little bit, um, but uh, it didn't last. I think it was maybe about a year or so. But I have like some of the stuff that was unreleased for many years, and then uh, after Fred died, Patty put them all out. Yeah. Um, it's great stuff. I mean, he was on to something with yeah, his band, Fred, but unfortunately... Fred died like in 94, right? Yeah. What did he, he die of? He died of a heart attack. Heart attack? Yes. Yeah, he died of a heart really, attack. Really, most of the guys from... I think, I think the only guy left now is like Wayne Kramer. Wayne Kramer and the, and the drummer. Another funny thing is, half of those guys that were with... Um, with um, MT5, they started hanging out with Dick Manitoba. Do you know yeah, that? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you talk about it. I mean, the dictators were definitely influenced by the MT5. But the only reason I bring this up because Manitoba, Manitoba does gone. close. It's yeah, gone. Yeah, Manitoba's bar is closed for everybody who doesn't know. Yeah, everybody After knows 20 it's years, closed. It's closed now. Very sad. I'm sad when I walked by there yesterday. I was like, what the hell happened to... I hope something good opens there. I hope it just doesn't stay closed for you. Maybe yeah. somebody else will take it over and turn it something into something else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we can hope. Um, You're talking about Cra- Manitobas? Cra- yeah. yeah. It was bullshit that the guy sued them. You know about the suing situation, right? I heard about some of it, yeah. So what happened was this dude who was, uh, their child I think was going like NOA or whatever, he was in a wheelchair. And he was going by every single bar. That yeah. Had oh, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that guy, yeah. yeah. Like, That's why he shut down? Well, they had to raise thirty thousand dollars, and they were yeah. But that was a few years ago. But they still were in the hole, though. Like you know. Yeah, they never got out of it. So they never they recovered. Never, they never so recovered from that. Like, yeah, so that 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 fucking asshole yeah. told them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Smart if you're an asshole, you don't want to, you don't care about anything. But like the fact that it was starting in that bar of all places, you know that bar's never more than like ten, fifteen people, and they're yeah. all like regular stragglers. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, they never got they never recovered they never from that lawsuit. That, especially yeah. because like once people raised the money, but like after that. The rising rents and everything and having to be compliant well, nothing wrong with that but no they, they had to comply but, but, yeah. I, but I also like, think that like the lease was ending too so, that's so that's, that's like, just yeah, why we do because yeah. how much is the landlord going to charge for that space now I want 30,000 for a shit paid space that, that. that the space not even that space ain't worth more than $7,000 a no, month they're going to look to charge 30 yeah, yeah. yeah. Cafe over there, they're gonna be a good oh yeah for a year or so, made by the, owned by the same people, and eventually they'll be cycling to right. sell it once the neighbor gets quote unquote back. Right. Yeah. I'll leave you your conversation. Sorry. Oh no, because no we're, yeah. we're actually doing a live podcast. We're on the Rock Show podcast just well, now. 
That's okay. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Because we're talking about the history of the MC5. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, so the, with Dick Manitoba, of course. Well, I'm no, talking, we, we just yeah. came up with Manitoba. We just started talking we, yeah, about yeah, Manitoba yeah. now. Yeah. Um, you know, dictators were definitely influenced by the MC5, hands down. I mean, no doubt about that. Everything from their sound to Manitoba's big afro. Yeah. Okay, I mean, he was definitely channel, channeling a little Rob Tyner right there. Um, Wayne Kramer, unfortunately, would get into hard times pretty much right after leaving the band. Yeah. Uh, literally, I mean, right, right after he walked off the stage at the show, he said he went to the dope house. Damn. Okay, so his heroin ha- habit was out of control. He started resorting to crime, drug dealing, yeah, stuff like a, that. He had like fucking 1975. He had two charges. Yeah, two drugs offenses. A year for each charge. He ends up going to federal prison in Kentucky. Who's he run into? Michael Davis, yeah. the bass player, <laughs> yeah. who was actually in the same prison for doing similar shit, mm-hmm. drug-related shit. Um, Kramer, in 79, had picked up his life a little bit, was doing you know, straight work at that point. He really yeah. wasn't playing much. But he, uh, he put a band together with Johnny Thunders yep. called uh, Gang War. And they would release one live album, which would be fucking great. Um, that's an interesting story in itself how that band got together uh, Thunders was a big MC5 fan we actually need to do just a Johnny Thunder episode oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's absolutely. I gotta put that on my list yeah we could do that I think we should probably do after the David Boy 25th episode the sure. 26th episode will be Johnny Thunder so oh, Johnny just, Thunder? just a mental note there for now yeah we Definitely. gotta do one like yeah, he's I knew, like I knew yeah. the Johnny Thunder yeah yeah, it's real important. Real important so, story. Important. So you, they took out the live album and then what Yeah, they, they released just that one live album and then it, it fell apart. I mean, uh, Thunders and Kramer, oh, they, they butted heads yes. on everything. You know, too many egos right Those there. Those are two huge egos. Right? Yeah. Michael Davis, uh, when he got out of prison, he would start a band uh, called Destroy All Monsters with Ron Ashton from the, <laughs> from the uh, Stooges um, with that beautiful singer Niagara. Niagara. Hub? Yeah. Oh, God damn. Yep. Um, Spank Bang. They were, they were a good band, Destroy All Monsters. She was hot. Oh, she was, she she was, was hot. Spank Bang. She was a performance artist. <laughs> yes. she, she's, a, she's not bad looking, man. Yeah, she was hot. That's what we're saying. That's what I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> Fucking girl, man. She was, damn, man. She went around now. Tyner, okay, would uh, perform live occasionally after the band broke up. He released a single with Eddie and the Hot Rods Eddie in 79. Uh, he would produce some bands, manage some bands, and sadly, he would die of a heart attack uh, in 1991. He was only 45 years old, I believe, at that point. Yeah, very young. Like yeah. 45 yep. years old. Yep. I can't believe one of the youngest, like... 45, man. I had to die like that. Let me ask you something, Jerry. When was the first time you heard the MC5? Like, how old were you? Oh, my God, man. It was you got like, a couple years over. You heard them before me, probably. Well, it was like in 74 or something like that when I yeah. first heard about them. Seriously. But they were like, already gone at that point. I know. Yeah, but I, 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 got in, I got very influenced in listening to MC5, you know, wave my time, you know, Jefferson Airplane. Uh-huh. You know, Lou Reed. Right. You know, you know, you name it. Urban, uh, Velvet Underground. Stuff yeah. like that. MC5 you know? did a did a, a show or two with the Velvet Underground, too. Believe right. that? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, 
they did a memorial for um, Rob. Rob. Yes, and they it was did. a huge fucking That's right. thing. You have to be right about the that, rational, Robbie. the romantics, Dee Dee Ramon, the Colts, and a bunch of other musicians did this. Um, like a, it was what, like a trivia, uh, like a, a tribute show. It was in Detroit, I believe, right? What do you know yeah. about that? Can you chat me? Uh, I, you know, I remember hearing about it. Yeah. You know, in '91 when he passed away, I was like, wow. You know, I had gotten into the MC5. I would say. The early 80s, so I was a little younger, but, you know, the early 80s, uh, and they had already been gone probably 10 years at that point. But, you know, you would hear these, you know, bands talking about their influences, and the MC5 was always one of these bands. You know, the MC5, the Stooges, the Velvet Underground, all of these bands that I was listening to, they were citing those three, really, as, like, the huge influences. And... First time I ever heard Kick Out the Jams, I was like, whoa. <laughs> Nothing sounded like that. Um, definitely a, a life changing moment with that. That song's like a call to arms. You never get sick of hearing it. You know, just the first Kick Out the Jams, motherfucker. You know, it's yeah. like, oh. And so, he says that really out loud, too. Oh, yeah, no. And, and he, would, he, would, he would, they would be playing places sometimes, like in the Deep South or whatever. And, and they would, you know, be warned ahead of time. Don't say it. All right, because because they would do they would do gigs because of the political in the early years the political uh, beliefs. No, there was an obscenity to do that. Yeah. You, you get a ticket or you get arrested. Like Beatles, oh shit! You know yeah. the recording of that tribute shirt that they did for him was recorded but still remain unreleased. Um, yeah, I've never seen it. I heard about it when it was happening. I know a lot of people going out there, you know, to perform. So where we at now? Because um, in 2003, we see three um, three surviving member: Kramer, Michael nice. Davis, yep. and um, Dennis Thomas. Dennis, the drummer. Dennis Thompson. Thompson, yeah. Thompson perform. Yeah, Cra- Kramer at the MC5 came- at the 100 Club uh, in London. In London, yep. They had uh, Fred Smith, um, where punk music got yeah. started. Right. Um, at that point, they, they were solidified in people's minds as, yes. as early punk rockers, basically. Yes. Proto-punk. Okay? Proto-punk. And um, to have them play at the 100 Club it was a big thing. That was you know? huge. Kramer put out some good, good albums over the years. I don't know if you've ever heard any of his solo shit. Um, uh, he has one album called The Hard Stuff. That's really good. He just wrote a book also, I believe it's called The Hard Stuff. About his times in the MC5. Hard stuff? Yeah. like the drugs. Well, yes. Yeah. Everything. Yeah, drugs. Yep, the death drugs. <laughs> so, I mean, so after in 2005, there's that new lineup that goes with um, Dick Manitoba. It's Kramer, Thompson, David with Handsome Dick. Yep, Handsome Dick. And they performed, the dictator performed until um, Michael Davis died in February 2012. Yeah, and, and well, there weren't that many shows yeah. with Dick Manitoba. Yeah. He did some shows. He did some shows. Um, but uh, sadly, Davis would die of liver failure. Yeah. In 2012. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, now, this is, uh, so Davis died. So in 2006, the MC5 was brought into the Detroit Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. Definitely should be there. Yeah. You know, they're they're definitely the Detroit sound. Yeah. You know, between them and the Stooges. Definitely, and Alice man. Cooper wow. also. Oh my God, That's another guy we need to do a show on. Definitely, man. Alice Cooper. So, Michael H. Davis, uh, Revolution Foundation, dedicated to support music education. Pro- they just started a fund fund his yeah. name. Yeah, they, they has a, there's a fund in his, in his name to help musicians and kids and stuff like that. 
Um, and in May on 2010, um, Kramer announced the MC50 tour. Yeah. <laughs> MC50. What we know about this, Mike? Uh, they've been playing around a little bit over the last few years as the MC50, because it's been 50 years since the band yeah. began. Um, different people have played with them. Uh, yeah, you it, got guys you know, from Soundgarden. Right, everybody's been going up on stage playing Kings with X, like it's a very mixed crowd. Yep, yep. I mean, you know, there's certain bands that are like, you know, they represent points in history, and then everything goes in different directions after them. You know, the MC5 definitely influenced punk, but they also influenced, you know, hard rock and heavy metal to some degree as well. Um, they're just one of these bands. There's only a handful of these bands, really, that just signify a point in history in music. Uh, I'm going to talk about the album of the week, right? What's the album of the week? Album of the week is going to be High Times. High Times, the third album by the MC5. Great album. Yep, yep. Um, like I was saying before, it's my favorite one by them. Um, it's an album that took me quite a few years, really, to decide if it was my favorite album. It wasn't always my favorite, but I think it's their best piece of work. Just because it's Sister Anne. That song's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it's about a nun. Yeah. <laughs> it is about a nun. Yep. Hard Time only made it to the Billboard. It was 191, man. Yep, yep. Yeah, man. Which is like, holy shit. So next week, we're going to be talking uh, Patti Smith. Yep. Oh we, were, God, we were supposed man. to do that this week, but due to a little change with Rob... In his schedule, we had to push this back a week. Um, we're going to have guest Adriana on. She's going to talk about Patti Smith and her band, Broken Time Machine. So that's going to be next week's episode. Looking forward to that. Um, any live shows? What do we have in the horizon? <clears throat> uh, coming up tonight over at Sony Hall in uh, Times Square area, you got Michael Rose from Black Hulu. Okay, Michael Rose... Great reggae artist. Uh, he was the original singer in Black Who He's playing. I'm thinking about going to this show. It's not sold out. I got to see how I feel. I still feel like shit. But um, I'm thinking about it's 8.30 tonight if you guys want to go. Um, tomorrow night, you got the Anti-Nowhere League playing. That's right, man. In Brooklyn at Kingsland. At Kingsland. They've been playing around. So what? So what? So what? So what? We are the league. What's the song of the week? He gave us the album. What's the song of the week? Song of the week. She'll be about the sister. <laughs> uh, song of the week, I'm going to say, is just kick out the jams. Kick out the jam, motherfucker. I kicked everything off, you know? No, but you, you know, we really touched on a lot of stuff on yeah. 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 So they're a very influential band. So Jerry, how can they get in touch with you? Just on Facebook? Was was your tag on Facebook? Facebook? Yeah, Lops on uh, uh, Jerry Smiley. Lops on Smiley. You know. That's right. If you want to contact Jerry and Michael Rock, how do we get in touch with you? Okay, I'm on Twitter, Rock and Mike Three on Twitter, and I'm on Instagram, Rock and Mike Two One Two on Instagram. <coughs> and uh, if you want to find me on Facebook, I'm on the Michael Baker. That's right. And me, I'm like a dirty whore. You can find me anywhere, any social media, yep. Snapshot, Facebook, tw- um, 
Patreon, on <laughs> Twitter, <laughs> any fucking way Social you can find me. Slut. Just go look, getting lumped up. You could go to Google, getting lumped up, and I'm the number one thing that comes up worldwide, trending worldwide when it comes to uh, Google getting lumped up. Yep, we're on iHeartRadio now, too. We're on iHeartRadio, um, and I think the next on um, Pandora might pick us up to oh. uh, put the show on Pandora, cool. and there'll be more ways of listening to the show. So, people, fuck you, thank you, have a great week, and we'll talk to you, you next time. And remember, and don't get, get drunk, drunk, get, get locked up. up.